0: You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education. Brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Kate Walker, CEO of Presence Learning. Kate has more than 20 years experience leading, advising, acquiring, and investing in education companies. Prior to leading Presence Learning, Kate was CEO of the Princeton Review and its subsidiary, Tutor.com, a leading provider of tutoring, test prep, and admission services. Kate, uh, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Kevin, thanks for having me.
0: I guess we should start off in- Talk a little bit about Presence Learning, Uh, been around since 2009, that's a long time. Uh, And talk a little bit about the products and services that you provide uh, to a very special student population.
1: Yes, absolutely. So we, we were founded back in 2009 when we saw an opportunity to use technology to help schools deliver online special education services particularly around speech therapy and occupational therapy and mental health services for students with special education needs who weren't able to get those services on site so when we started out it was really about helping school districts who who weren't able to hire and attract clinicians to come work on site so it was a lot of very remote rural districts it was a lot of under-resourced urban centers that really needed help getting clinicians to in place to serve their students in their special education programs. And we started, as I said, back in 2009. We've grown over the past 10 plus years and have expanded and partnered with school districts. Now all across the country, we're in 43 states, to help them, help them serve and meet all of the requirements of their special education programs. And so in addition to speech therapy, which is where we began. We're doing occupational therapy, mental health services, and assessments and evaluations in all of those areas as well. So cognitive assessments, speech evaluations uh, to confirm eligibility for programs and services.
0: Maybe Kate, give us a timeline of how things began to change for you and for Presence Learning once the pandemic started to take hold. I'm sure it's been uh, a wild ride as it's been for all of us.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really, I mean, I remember it date by date, because I remember it was Friday, March 13th was when, you know, everything started to rapidly accelerate more and more schools and then states announced that they were going to be closed for, you know, as yet to be determined amounts of time. And it was really probably two weeks before that, that we started realizing on our part, you know, this this is going to be a big, this is going to be a big change. It's going to be a big need. It's going to change everything for us because, you know, as I said, we, we were, we were working with a lot of schools, but they were schools in, you know, these sort of specific niche areas where they, they had they had an outsized need and all of a sudden it, it was going to go from that to every single school district in the country needed to be needed to be serving students online, needed to figure out how to do that for special education populations. So, you know, we, we fortunately, you know, at least started, started preparing for it a couple of weeks in advance, uh, working with all of the schools that we already were partnered with just first simply to say, okay, you know, how are we going to be How are we going to keep continuity for all of these students who are getting remote services already, but they're getting them from inside their schools, right? Like there's an aide in the school bringing the student to a room to get the online therapy. How do we make sure there's no interruption there when that student is now going to be sitting at home? So that was... That was something that we were able to anticipate, prepare for, and have, you know, very little disruption in service for our schools. But then there was, you know, this this huge new thing of, what about all the rest of the schools that, that we're not already working with, that aren't doing anything online, how, how are we going to help them? And so it was, um, you know, the opening up of just a massive new need. And in those early weeks, uh, you know, last two weeks of March, first week of April, it just Everything started coming our way. I mean, we, we saw our applications from clinicians interested in coming to work in teletherapy multiply by about 10 times in those early weeks. So we were seeing on that and, you know, all this whole profession coming to us, you know, like help me, I can't do my work in the way I've always done it. Um, You know, can I have can I have work through you? So there was that side of it. And then we saw a similar lift in inquiries and calls from school districts wanting to talk to us to figure out how they could shift all of those services that they've been running in schools online. So we, you know, it, I could go on for a long time, um, which which, you know, which I'll, I'll let you ask your specific questions, but um, you know, I will say it, it just resulted in a very significant and rapid shift for us in, in rethinking what we offer and how we offer it so that it could be relevant for every school.
0: How do you grade the overall response of the industry to this dramatic shift? Um, initially, there's been a lot of praise to both teachers and therapists, to make this transition as quickly as they have, uh, but there's a growing kind of chorus of criticism that says that none of this has really worked out very well at all, and that we should just start again. Uh, where do you fall in those lines?
1: I think that there was a lo- th- there were a lot of you know quick moves made to by by schools trying to figure out how that you know what they were gonna do online, not not just you know with regards to us for special education, but for the general education programs, there was a a rush to have something in place. And I think that's you know that that's not gonna result. You're not gonna be able to go in a week or two weeks to something that is, you know, fully planned out and thought through and is exactly what you need it to be. So I saw, you know, some sort of quick rushing to action and then a ton of iteration over the weeks that followed. And I do actually think, you know, I commend those schools that did act quickly and, and stayed committed to, you know, one way or another, we're going to we're gonna serve our students and we're going to figure it out because I, I think they've come further by now because they have, you know, they tried things, they changed things, they iterated and, you know, it's, it's so much better than what it was looking back to those early weeks. I think there were, you know, I think one of the the tough things in a lot of states was, you know, th- there were mixed messages about whether schools should be trying and, and launching online services, whether or not it was appropriate to serve, you know, any students if you didn't have a hundred percent confidence that you could serve all students. I mean, there there was there was so much confusion and discussion about you know, what the right thing was to do from an equity and access position. And, and it was tough to watch from our view where, you know, we're working with some of the students with the highest needs. And it was you know it was sad in those early weeks to see students that we knew could have been served that weren't getting served because schools were getting mixed messages about whether whether or not it, it was, you know, responsible or irresponsible or fair or unfair to serve some if you couldn't serve all.
0: That's great. Can you go a little bit deeper into the technologies that are being provided to your particular uh, student population, ones with special needs? Why are they different? Why are they more uh, robust, say, than just the average Zoom room that um, most students right now have been Uh, dealt with, Uh, and talk a little bit too about maybe some of the unexpected benefits that uh, presence learning has found uh, as a result of this great beta test that we're under.
1: Yeah. I mean, on the technology question, I think that's that's so important. And, you know, we we don't see every every school asking those questions and and really, you know, thinking through the differences between, uh, you know, a video conferencing platform that, you know, might have been designed or built for business interactions, right versus something that was built for schools. And when we talk to our therapists who are actually using our platform for their therapy and to do their assessments, I think the big the big difference is, you know, with with something like our platform, they're they're working they're working within something that was designed by clinicians for clinicians to use for this purpose, to engage with not just kids, but kids with special needs. So there are, you know, a, a ton of, of, you know, sort of seemingly small, but really important features that have been built in over the years at the request of therapists, you know, things like, you know, back in the early days, we would have therapists saying, you know, I I need to be able to see the student on my camera view, but He's getting distracted looking at himself on his screen. Is there, you know, is there a way for me to turn off his view of himself without turning off the whole camera? Sure, we can build that in, right? And you know, a million little things like that over the years got added in different ways to control the, you know, control the use of the mouse in, you know, some areas but not all areas of the screen to control the way it looks, uh, to you know, turn off and on different features because it's really all about, you know, in this use case, you're trying to run a a focused and engaged therapy session. And, um, you know, you think of it as sort of the command center of the therapist. And so to build something for that use that when you get something like occupational therapy is going to require multiple camera views at different angles to see to see the writing or to see the actions in addition to the face of the student, you know, there there's sort of all of these elements of it that really matter if you want it to work for, for online therapy. I mean, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to create a new way to do things that that were originally done in a room altogether. Right. And so that 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 has taken a lot of of custom building to create something that really works. And I think it's 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 really cool that that, you know, technology can do that and can create an equal or sometimes better experience for a therapist to really engage that student and focus the student. Um, but there's a whole lot more to it than, you know, just just clicking a link in and, and engaging through a video. The biggest benefit for us has been just, you know, until now, this was still, I think, in the early phases of adoption. It was behind where things like online tutoring have gotten to in terms of, you know, acceptance and broad use. I think there were still a lot of questions out there of can you, you know. I don't think you can do this online. I don't think it's really going to work. And so by and when we've always said, if you just try it, you'll see. And what what happened was this forced trial where, you know, people really needed to try it and see. And I think it proved to a lot of skeptics that you you can engage, you can build rapport with a student, through a screen so that's th- that matters not again not just for our space within special education but for all of these forms and formats of online learning I mean that you know, get, getting past that skepticism that I think was still lingering out there among a lot of educators of you know how can I really connect with the student and build that rapport. I think that has, I think we've come a long way in a very short amount of time now in really showing people that you can do this and, and, you know, you can, you can really connect with a student and you don't have to be physically in the same room with them.
0: Now, from my experience covering special education, that, uh, politics and bureaucracy, uh, is, as big of an obstacle as, say, using technology to assist students with special needs. How has that environment changed as a result of the pandemic?
1: It, it has changed, but uh, we're still in the zone where it's a it's a temporary change and there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether we're going to be, you know, it could be making progress permanently or, or not. And, and where it comes into play here is there's you know, each state has its own rules. And most states during, during this environment have loosened the restrictions and have come out and, and proactively said that they will allow for use of teletherapy, so that's great. And you know, again, as as I alluded to, one big benefit of that is that you know you'll now have schools across that state experiencing it, and you know having a positive experience, and, and hopefully that that moves the the legislation forward. But um, you know, very few states have have made a permanent change at this point. You know, they've done this you know sort of for for six weeks, for eight weeks. Uh, you know, we'll will lift this restriction and then we'll see. So I think there's still a lot of um, holding back because of that, of, you know, schools not really getting clear guidance or really knowing, is this something that if I go and invest in implementing this program, am I going to be able to continue to use it going forward?
0: Now, everyone is um, looking into the crystal ball, trying to figure out what's going to happen in the fall, depending on where you are in the world, in the the country. Um, What are your best case and worst case scenarios in terms of the use of remote learning for special needs kids going i'll give you the the, the near term this fall and then you know maybe 2 years from now where where do you see it
1: yeah, I mean, I think that there, I mean, everybody's making predictions about what the fall is going to look like. And I'd say if there's any sort of gravitating towards a, you know, a majority theory, it's that, you know, most schools will be able to reopen. But on, you know, staggered schedules or, you know, spaced out schedules or alternating weeks. I mean, you know, in some form, there's going to be going to need to be a further splitting of groups and classes to account for social distancing and I think for spe- special education is for the most part using one-to-one services right. uh, some sometimes small groups I mean you know we a, a, a significant portion of what we do it might be in a group of two or three but these are these are certainly, not large groups. And and a lot of it happens one to one. So to me, when I think about and, you know, when I talk with the the school boards that I'm involved in, we think about, you know, how do you do that? How do you design a schedule that covers all of the classes and all of the needs of the school day, but accounts for more social distancing? I think what we'll see is things like the special education services that are happening one on one can, you know, those can certainly be moved out of the classroom and even out of the primary school day to right. to an after school schedule. So I think it's going to be a really helpful element for for schools as they start to, you know, figure out how to design their their schedules to account for this, at least, you know, with these pieces that can happen individually I, and, and can happen, you know, from the home, I, I think that's going to be a needed helper to try to fit everything in during during this period of you know either like I said spaced out scheduling or you know others are sort of fearing the the back and forth you know we come back to session and then and then we have to close 6 weeks later
0: because right. there's another
1: uptick and so for those scenarios the back and forth as well i think that what will become more and more of a a requirement or an expectation of schools over time is that you know if and when that happens that back and forth they need to provide continuity you know it was one thing to be shut down in the last two weeks of march and the first couple of weeks of april and you know this was a you know very sudden and very very a very unpredicted situation that a lot of schools found themselves in, right? But as you you come around and start doing your planning for next school year, which all schools are right now, I think they're feeling that pressure of, you know, it's not going to be okay if this happens again next January to not have a plan in place to serve continuously. So right. uh, so that that's where I think some some of these pieces that can be broken out and can be, you know, more easily served outside of that classroom structure I think will be will be helpful and I think and I think because of that we'll see more schools build build an online or remote component into the special education services piece because it's one of the pieces where they they can.
0: Right. Let's 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 switch over to the instructor to the to the therapist side for a little bit uh, in terms of professional development I'll assume the the folks who have been using your product and your service um, are have are adept with it now you you probably have a whole new pool of people unaccustomed to working uh, in this way how how has that adjustment been
1: yeah I mean we We fortunately, because because we had already grown to having over a thousand clinicians in our presence learning network. And so all of them, you know, are deeply experienced now and that, you know, they've already transitioned their practice from offline to online and, um, over the years of of working with them and building up that team, we developed online training. We call it the Telehealth Institute that you know takes you through you know, what you need to think about, what you need to know to adapt to online practice. And then during this period, we developed live training that we're now offering on a regular basis to school teams doing this for the first time. We're calling it teletherapy 101 or teleassessment 101, where our own clinical teams who have, you know, over the years adapted their own practice to online are are teaching school school teams doing it for the first time how to do it and kind of giving them the benefit of, you know, what they what they spent 10 years figuring out. So it's, it's something that we, we felt pretty well prepared for and, and actually kind of uniquely in a position to, to help. I mean, we first realized it, I think, I think back to, it was the first week of April. We, we ran a free webinar on teletherapy best practices and we, we, you know, we broke the webinar (laughs) registration system. I mean, you know, we typically, uh, you know, would be running webinars where we might get a couple thousand registrations and, you know, 500, Plus attendees, that that was kind of the scale we were used to seeing interest in what we did. Um, in that in that teletherapy best practices webinar, we um, we, we learned that the system we were on. Couldn't take more than ten thousand registrations, so you know wow. we hit this point where we had more and more, um, you know, inquiries of people wanting to attend. We had to split, run extra sessions, and 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 so on. But you know that that was when we realized, okay, there are a lot more people out there now that that need to figure this out, and and that's what really prompted us to start rolling out an ongoing professional development offering, which which has been working really well. I mean, you know, we're hearing. We, we've trained about a thousand more clinicians um, through that professional development program so far, and they're all, you know, out in practice using our platform to to serve their students, and we're hearing really good things, but it it does take, it takes that training. And then we also supplement that with ongoing weekly clinical office hours. And, you know, it does, it takes, it takes takes time and it it, it takes really, you know, learning a different approach. It's not, this isn't the kind of thing where you, you know, like with any part of instruction, I think, I mean, you can't just take what you know from, from the onsite classroom and, you know, open up a browser and, and get to it. There, there are a lot of differences in online classroom management or in, in our case, online therapy management that that we're, we're trying to you know, do our best to highlight and teach and and set people up for what, you know, what many of them probably never thought they would need to transition to in, in their careers. Right. I mean, it's it's a you know, massive, massively steep learning curve for a lot right. of people right now.
0: Well, to wrap things up, maybe we should uh, talk about uh, a bit of news, not to bury the lead, but uh, congratulations, I read that you have received a, a new series of uh, funding. It, it amazes me. One of the amazing things about all this is that everything does seem to continue to happen, especially when it comes to uh, the financial world. And uh, talk a little bit about your new um, funding and what you plan to do with it.
1: Yeah, thank you. We're very excited about it. We announced it yesterday and we we raised 27 million uh, with Bain Capital Double Impact as the lead fund and you know the the conversations we were having about the transaction started long before COVID became became a reality. So, I mean, going back to, I I joined Presence Learning over a year ago in January 2019 and started building a new leadership team and a new strategy for growing to national scale. And I knew that we'd want to bring in more capital to back that strategy and expand our reach. And I actually first met with the Bain Double Impact team in February of 2019, so over a year ago. And, you know, we started talking, continued talking as I built up our team and we solidified our strategy and, and started focusing in on our capital needs. And then when, when COVID happened and the school closures just, you know... It, led to skyrocketing demand and interest in our services. That I think was the the catalyst to, you know, to really move all of us. It gave everyone, I'd say, confidence on all sides that now, now is the time to do this funding. It was essential to bring in the capital. And what it allows us to do is really start building up a larger sales and outreach team
0: mm-hmm. so that
1: we can be active in all states and we can be engaging with schools and and you know implementing services services, whether, whether it's our direct services where our own clinicians are, are taking on caseload and serving it online or continuing to build out these professional development training programs and the use of our platform. It's just, you know, to be, to be able to make the most of the opportunity and to work with as many schools as possible, we, we just need to build up a much bigger team. Right now, we have 11 sales reps to cover the entire country. And um, I mean, you know, you know how many how many states there are, let alone school districts to to be talking to. So we we just need a bigger team. And and this capital allows us to to, you know, start hiring and and building up so that we can be reaching more schools.
0: Well, your work is very important and it's um, more important than ever now uh, to to spread out. So. uh, I appreciate appreciate it uh, and appreciate you for the work that you do and appreciate the time that you spent with us. So, Kate, thanks very much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for your interest in what we're doing. I appreciate the chance to talk about it.
0: And thanks to everyone who's listening. And I hope you look forward to another episode of Remote Possibilities. I'm Kevin Hogan. Thanks very much.